Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. If I asked you this morning to describe a picture of your life, how you picture it five or ten years from now, if we took the time this morning, we could probably go around this room, and I bet every one of you would have some kind of a, of a picture in your mind of what you expect your life to turn out to look like. That we all have dreams, and it doesn't matter whether you are 25, 45, 65, or even beyond that. You have certain hopes and certain dreams for your life. And those dreams are pretty much the driving force in your life. And, and they, might have, they might be financial dreams, there might be relational dreams, there might be vocational dreams. But we all have these dreams for our life. And, and those dreams are the very things that drive our life. I have a, an acquaintance that... Every day, you know, whenever I see him, I say, how's it going? He goes, I'm just living a dream. Not really sure. I look at his life, and I'm not too sure what that dream is, okay? But we all have these dreams. And what God does is, is he uses our dreams and our hopes. In fact, he gives us new dreams and big dreams, and then he uses those things to shape our lives um, and as, as important as what you hope to accomplish in your life, in fact, I would say more important than what you hope to accomplish in your dreams is the person that you become in that process. And so we're starting this new series this week. We're calling it Character Under Construction, and we're taking a look at the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph, not Mary and Joseph, mother and father of Jesus, Joseph, but Joseph of the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Joseph, okay? That's the guy we're talking about. Um, but his story has a lot more to do than just this particular piece of garment that he has. Um, if you look at his life, he's a dreamer. God gives him some incredible dreams for his life. But there's a process by which those dreams get fulfilled. And what we'll discover as we look at this in the next couple of weeks is that God gave him these dreams, and those dreams sustained him through all kinds of different adversity, all kinds of different ups and downs, peaks and valleys, all the things that he went through, that God, through those dreams, began to work and develop him and change his character. And so what we're going to look at is um, what a God-given dream looks at like this morning for you. Because when we talk about big dreams, and that's what we're talking about, what we're really talking about is God-given dreams. And I believe that God has a dream for each and every one of us in this room. I believe that God had something in mind when he created you. And whatever your hopes and dreams might be for your life, if they're not a part of God's bigger dream for your life, you are dreaming too small. Now, your dream may not be big and grandiose compared to somebody else's, but I will tell you this, that your life is too important for you, for you to waste your skills and your abilities and your talents just pursuing your little dream, because God has a bigger dream for your life. So we're going to look at the life of Joseph, and we're going to start with his dreams. So if you want to turn there, it's in Genesis chapter 37, and um, if you're new to the Bible, that's like the very beginning of the Bible. In fact, chapter 37 is probably going to be somewhere around page 37 in your Bible. So if you want to grab one and sit next to you, if you didn't bring one with you, um, we're going to read this, uh, this story, the beginning of the story. It's actually a very long story. We're just going to read the first part of it today. Beginning Genesis 37, beginning in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. 
Now Israel, which is also Jacob, that's the other name of, of Jacob, Jacob, Israel, same guy. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They said, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered round mine and bowed down to it. Yeah. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were all bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will you and your mother, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. We'll skip down to verse 17. Now his brothers are tending um, the sheep, the flock, and they have gone out to first to Shechem and then moved on to an area called Dothan. And his father now sends his brother, Joseph out to check on his brothers like he had done in the past. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But when they saw him at a distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and they threw him into the cistern. And that's where we're going to leave him for a while. Joseph had been given some incredible dreams. God-given dreams, big dreams, but he wasn't ready to fulfill them yet. And as we look at his life over the next four weeks, we're going to see that there was this refining process that God worked. He gave him these dreams, but then through those dreams and through his life experiences, God refined him till ultimately they were fulfilled. This happens when he's 17 years old. How many in this room can ever look back to your teenage years and say there was at least one thing you did when you were 17 or 18 years old or somewhere in your teenage years that looking back on it probably was not a very good idea? Okay, okay, so we're all in good company here this morning. And, and, and here's the thing I believe. Like I said, I believe that God has a dream for each and every one of our lives, and particularly as Christ followers, we don't have the luxury of wasting our lives on our little dreams. And if you're here this morning and you're still in that investigating process, you're not sure what you believe about God and about all this other stuff, I want to tell you, whether you recognize it or not, God is working in your life and has been working in your life all along. And part of what he's doing is to bring you to a point where you recognize his dream for your life. And I hope this morning when you leave that you're going to have a greater sense of what that might be. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to maybe get on board with that. So we're going to talk about this whole idea of, of dreams and how they shape our character. And I want to start with this simple idea. You don't have to be perfect to have a God-given big dream. You don't have to be perfect to have one of those. 
Because I talk to people all the time who kind of feel like, you know, I can't believe that God has any big designs on my life. And sometimes it goes back to their past, either their, their family background or bad choices that they've made along the way or, or things that they got involved in or even addictions or things that are, that are running their lives right now. And they just kind of look and say, no, 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 God can't have anything for me. My life is such a mess. My family history is so bad. My poor decisions in life, there can't be any possibility that God has anything for me. And I want you to know, if you think that there is something in your past or something in your family background that somehow disqualifies you from God's dream for your life, you couldn't be more wrong. Because if you look at Joseph, you discover there was a lot of stuff about him that was not perfect. And in fact, it starts with his family history. And that's why we're given a little bit of that by the writer of Genesis. He says, now, this is Jacob's line. Jacob's lineage. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So first off, we find he's a bit of a snitch. <laughs> he's a bit of a tattletale. But, but we're given a little bit of the family background here because you've got to understand the dysfunction of this family because it goes all the way back to his father, Jacob. It actually goes back further than that. But just going back to his father, Jacob, Jacob was a younger son. He had, a tw- he had another brother um, called Esau. Jacob's name actually means deceiver or con man. <laughs> and that's why God changed his name, by the way, to Israel. But um, he actually lived up to his name. When he was younger, he actually, um, he bilked his brother out of the birthright. Uh, he, he conned his brother in such a way that he got the birthright that was traditionally due to the older brother, but he got it out of him. And then when his dad was nearing the, de- his, uh, the end of his life and was almost you know, like, like totally blind, he, he conned his father into giving him the blessing that should have been Esau's. And because there had been favoritism in the family, because the father loved Esau more and the mother loved Jacob more, there was all kinds of this family dynamic already going on with some favoritism. And so she kind of helped him in the con. And it caused such a rift in the family that actually Jacob had to get out of Dodge for a while because his brother was going to kill him when he found out what had happened. And so he goes off to a far land to some distant relatives of the family, and he goes and he falls in love. He meets this gal named Rachel, and it is like love at first sight. And, and he's, he's got to marry this gal. So he goes to her father, Laban. He says, I am in love with your daughter. I want to have her hand in marriage. And Laban is a bit of a conniver himself. And he says, well, you know what? It's going to be a pretty big dowry. <laughs> like, you work for me seven years, and then you can have her as your wife. And, and it says, it, actually, it says that Jacob worked for his father-in-law, father-in-law-to-be Laban for seven years, and it seemed like a day. He was in love. And so finally, after the seven years, he, he earns the dowry. He gets it all together, and, and his father-in-law comes. A wedding day comes, and his father-in-law plays the old switcheroo. And he substitutes, instead of Rachel, he substitutes her older sister, Leah who Jacob was not interested in at all. And you wonder, well, how can that happen? Well, can you kind of think about some of the garb that you see in the Middle East, even to this day, where this, you know, it's a whole veil. It's not just a little blusher veil. It's like a whole thing, and all you see is the eye slits kind of deal. That kind of deal. So he has no idea. He goes through the whole wedding ceremony, doesn't come until wedding night, and he goes, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> and he goes and he complains to his father-in-law. He says, well, listen. He says, I can't marry off the younger daughter until the older daughter is married. So if you want Rachel, you've got to take Leah. That's part of the bargain. <laughs> but if you want Rachel, you can still marry her. 
if you work another seven years. And he does. And he loves Rachel. He is willing to work 14 years now. So he marries Rachel. So now he's got two wives. And of course, Rachel is his favorite. That's the one he's truly in love with. That's the one that he wants to have kids with and build a family with. And so um, the trouble is that Rachel can't get pregnant. Now, Leah, her older sister, has no problem in that regard. She pumps out four of them like right away. Boom, 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 boom. Four kids. And Rachel starts to get a little bit you know, jealous about the whole thing. So she's got a servant named Bilhah. So she says, okay, if I can't have kids, I got a surrogate. So why don't you use my servant girl, Bilhah, and, and her children will be my children. And Jacob says, well, if you insist. <laughs> has two kids. Bilhah has two kids. Now, this, of course, creates problems for Leah because her servant, she's got a servant girl. Too, and she goes, well, if, if Rachel's servant girl gets two kids, I want two kids. So she gives her servant girl and two more kids. And then Leah has two more kids on top of that. It's like 10 kids, and Rachel is still not able to get pregnant. And finally, finally, she gets pregnant, has a baby boy, and they name him Joseph. Okay, that's the family dynamic that he comes. If, if you think your family is a little dysfunctional, you got nothing on these guys, okay? Because then on top of all of that, because this is his favorite wife, it's his favorite son, even though he's the youngest. And you know, if you're an older sibling, you know what happens with the baby brother, okay? That already happens. After 12, these guys, there are now 12 boys in this family by four different mothers, all living in the same house, and Joseph is the favorite of all of them. And if that's not bad enough, Jacob makes it very, very clear that he's the favorite, and that's where the coat comes in. It says that Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. Old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. <clears throat> when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. See, not only was he favored, but dad make it, made it really, really clear that he was favored. It's like Joseph's clothes all came from Nordstrom. The other brothers got Walmart, okay? When, when it came graduation day, high school graduation, it was Joseph who got the Camaro. Everybody else shared the family minivan, okay? That was the deal. No wonder they hated him. Now, put yourself in Joseph's view. How that must feel to know that you're the favorite of your father, but you're hated by your brothers. I mean, so much of those, they can't even say a nice word to you. That's the dysfunction that's going on here. And there's resentment, and there's bitterness, and there's favoritism, and there's all this stuff going on. And here's the deal. Part of God's dream for your life is to help you rise above your past. See, that's where he starts Whatever your background, whatever your dysfunctional family might have been like, whatever bad choices you've made in your life, whatever things that you've got yourself messed up in, whatever you think, whatever you think might disqualify you from God having any use for your life, you couldn't be more wrong. Because part of God's big dream for your life is simply to help you rise above your past. And that's what he's doing with Joseph. There is nothing in your past there is nothing about your family. There is nothing about anything in your life and in your background that disqualifies you from the grace of God to redeem and restore it. 
And part of his big dream for your life is simply to give you a new dream, a fresh start. And you don't have to be perfect for that. Second principle is, understand there's often a lag time between your dreams and their fulfillment. Whatever big dreams God has for your life, there is often, in fact, I would go so far as to say there will always be a lag time between when you get a sense of that dream and when you actually begin to see it fulfilled. There's always a lag time. See, the thing is, we tend to think, now that I know what God has for my life, now I'm ready to do it. All I needed to do was know it, and then I could go ahead and pursue it. And the trouble is, we're often not ready for it. Joseph wasn't ready for it. It's like my, my grandson. He's just been learning to walk now, and now he's kind of to the point where he can get, get along pretty good. But one of the things he loves to do when he comes over our house is he likes to put grandpa's shoes on and walk around the house. And they're like way too big for him. They don't fit. He hasn't grown into them. And he trips over them and everything. And then a couple of weeks ago, we were babysitting. Funniest thing I ever saw. So he puts on my wife's wedge high heel flip-flops. And of course, he's like all over the place. He can't keep, you know, he takes two steps. He falls over. And, but he insists on wanting to wear grandma's high heel. Yes, they do make wedge high heel flip-flops. And yes, my wife wears them. And so does my grandson. We got to do something about that. He was not meant to wear high heel wedge flip-flops, okay? He will never, as far as I'm concerned, wear high heel flip-flops. But, but the, the whole deal is he thinks because now he can walk that he's ready for just running in any kind of shoes. And sometimes we get a sense of God's direction for our life or a sense of his bigger vision or his bigger dream for our lives. And we think because we know what it is, now we got to pursue it and we got to go all out for it. And we're not ready for it. See, that's the thing that happened here. Joseph is so exuberant. He's so excited about this big dream. Who wouldn't be? That's a pretty cool dream. But, but he thinks now that since he's had this dream, he's just got to share it with everybody. So he just has to share the dream. He goes to his friends. He goes, listen, listen, listen. you got to hear this dream. He says, we were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, you don't have to have any... Sp- special spiritual gift of discernment and interpreting dreams to know what that's about. And his brothers figured it out real quick, and their response is predictable. His brother said to him, you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. No one will be as excited about your dream and God's dream for you as you. And it takes great care and wisdom to know how to handle that dream. In fact, when you get a sense of what God has for you in your life, expect to be met with criticism. It happens an awful awful lot of times um, where someone makes that first step of faith and they put their trust in Jesus Christ and they find it just changes their life, that they have a whole new perspective on life and all those other things and all those other people that they used to hang out with, all of a sudden that doesn't fit with that dream that they believe God's given to them. And so they start changing their behavior and they start changing. And the people around them, they all start thinking, what, now you're too good for us? Oh, you, you went and got religion. Now you're going to be some kind of goody-goody two-shoes. You're not going to... Listen, take great care when you get a sense of that dream. Because 
if it reflects poorly on other people or impacts them negatively, they're not going to be so excited about your dream. It takes great wisdom to know how to handle that. Joseph wasn't ready for that. And that's what you find. That's the result of it. 25 years ago, I probably had one of the clearest senses of God's direction in my life that I'd ever had. 25 years ago, I was on the pastoral staff of a church in San Francisco. It was a wonderful church. It was a great, thriving, growing church. Um, I loved the people that I worked with. It had actually been my home church growing up, and I was blessed with the opportunity to come and serve on the pastoral staff there. And I loved what I was doing. I loved the people that I was working with. I loved, I loved everything about it, the team that was part of that pastoral staff. Everything about it was just so wonderful. But I had this sense that God was calling me to do something different. And I had this sense that what he really wanted from my life was to leave that place and to step out in faith and to plant a new church in a community called Benicia. And not only that, but part of this dream was not just to plant another church, but to be a church that would reach out to unchurched people. There would be a church where people who were still in that deciding process, still investigating faith and investigating the things of God and all of that, could come and feel welcome and accepted and find a safe place where they could learn and grow and discover the life that God has for them. And I started sharing that dream. It was not met with a great deal of enthusiasm. <laughs> in fact, I had a lot of people criticizing it. A lot of people, I had people say to me, what? Why would you do that? What, you don't like it here? Is there something wrong with us? What's, no, 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 no. It's just this is what I believe. God. I had family members who didn't understand what that meant. I had people say some, some kind of hurtful things to me. I had one person in particular, a person I, I actually kind of respected a lot. But they came to me and said, oh, okay, I, I get it. You're not content to be on a pastoral staff in a big city like San Francisco. You just want to be a big fish in a small pond. Now, I heard, and, and other things even more hurtful than that. But here's the deal. That lag time, that lag time is often where God starts to refine the dream in you and starts to refine you in the dream. Because one of the things you got to be open to is valid criticism. See, I had this great ambitious dream, but... God kind of put everything on hold for about two and a half years before we actually started it. And then over the years, it's been a lot of ups and downs and peaks and valleys and all of that. So the dream was there. But God had to do some refining in me. God had to do some refining in that dream. And that's what will also happen with you. That God might give you that sense of a fresh start and a new direction for your life. But that doesn't mean you're totally ready to get into it. And some criticism that you receive is going to be valid, and you've got to be open to that, and you've got to be willing to listen to that. And you've got to kind of check yourself on that. But the other part of it is some of the changes that are going to need to take place in your own character. And we're going to see that over the next couple of weeks, how God used some of these adverse circumstances, some of the things that were going wrong with Joseph. Not only was his family dysfunctional, but he had some dysfunction in himself. He was a snitch. He was a tattletale. One of the things I've discovered, one of the things I've kind of observed is people that like to tell on other people generally do so because of a lot of self-righteousness in there. And it makes them feel better about themselves when they can point at everything bad everybody else is doing. So in Joseph, there's a little bit of pride, a little bit of judgmentalism, 
little bit of tattletale. Now, why would God give someone like that such great dreams? In fact, not just on one occasion, but actually two occasions. Why would God keep giving him these great dreams when he doesn't know how to handle them? Totally insensitive to his brothers, all of these other things. Why would God keep giving him these dreams? Here's what I think. I think God wanted him to be confident in the fact that God was at work in his life. That I think he wanted Joseph to be confident and assured that God had these dreams for him. Because those dreams are going to sustain him all through everything he's about to go through. He doesn't know it yet. But God has given him an assurance and a confidence about that dream that it's going to stick with him no matter what. And it gave him the confidence and assurance that he was going to need. Now, that confidence and assurance needed to be tempered with humility and trust and relying on God, not just his own devices to make it all happen. And that's what often happens in the lag time between that sense of God's direction for my life and actually seeing it fulfill. And the last one is that God-given dreams will always fit into God's master plan. And this is really, really important. How do you know? How do you know if your dreams are God-given big dreams or if they're just wishful thinking? How do you know whether this is something from God or, or, or something um, that, that you just kind of made up? And I think one of the big ways to discover it is to ask yourself, how does my dream fit into God's master plan? See, the thing that Joseph didn't understand was this was not about him. He thought it was. It's a very cool dream. It's a cool dream to be the youngest and to think that all of your brothers are going to bow down and worship you. <laughs> That's a very cool dream. And he thought it was all about him. And his sharing of all of that and all that thing, that was all about his dream for himself. And he didn't realize yet that it was part of God's bigger dream. And so what happens is, is he shares this and, and gets kind of overboard on the whole thing because he thinks it's all about him. It starts to simmer in his brothers. They start to get a little more steamed and worked up over it. And they probably talk a lot about it. In fact, it says... They see him coming from a distance, and they say, now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns. Say the ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. See, that was the issue, his dreams and the way that he was handling them because he thought it was all about him. He didn't realize that the dreams that God had given him were part of God's bigger plan. So here's a question you can ask yourself. When you think about your life and your dreams and where you want to see yourself five years or ten years from now, as you think about those dreams, ask yourself, how do these dreams fit into God's bigger plan? Because if this is just about you and your career and you're marrying that perfect spouse or, or, or you're having that perfect job or you're making that kind of money and all that kind of thing, if, that, if, that, if your dreams are just all about you, your dreams are too small. God's got bigger dreams for you. Now, it may not be people bowing down to you. But I will tell you this. That God has a dream for you where you are at, in your neighborhood, on your job, in your classroom, wherever it is. And part of that dream is not only to lift you out of your past, but part of that dream is to be the extension of his kingdom in that world. Part of his redemptive work in this world. And part of the way to approach your life with these big dreams is to ask myself, how do my dreams fit into God's bigger dream? Why does God have me here right now? 
What does he want me to do with my life in my neighborhood, in my classroom, on my job? See, the thing that Jeff Joseph's going to learn and going to have to learn over as we go through all of this over the next 15, 17 years, however long it is, he gets well into his 30s before he really sees the fulfillment of it. Part of what's got to happen is he's got to start looking beyond himself and see his part in God's bigger plan. Because see, your dreams are just one piece of a million piece puzzle that is God's master plan. You've got a piece. You've got a part to play in it. But it's his redemptive work in this world that's the big plan. So that's just a really good question. See, Joseph finally realizes this. It comes to the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50. We'll fast forward a little bit just for now, and we'll come into the rest of it in the next couple of weeks. But Joseph gets reunited with his brothers. It's a very awkward reunion. <laughs> but he comes to the end of, actually, to the end of his father's life. And his father is, actually, his father dies. And, and, and the other brothers now, they're thinking, as long as dad's alive, they're okay. Because dad is going to kind of watch over and make sure Joseph doesn't take his revenge out on us. But now dad has died. And now they're like really, really nervous. Because they're thinking, okay, here it comes. Now Joseph is really going to nail us for what we did to him. And Joseph gets them together. And he says these words. These are incredible words. And it's just, it's that big picture perspective. He says, listen, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how that played out. But he came to the end, and what he realized was, you know, this wasn't about me. Those big dreams, that wasn't just about me and my, my glory and my honor. It's part of God's bigger plan. And even what you guys did to me, even though you intended to do evil, you intended to harm me, God intended it for good. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.